You're listening to the Nonprofit Problem Solver Podcast brought to you by KevKayat.com. Kev helps nonprofit leaders deliver more impact faster and easier so they can be mission accomplished in 40 hours a week or less. For more information, visit KevKayat.com. Now, here is the host of Nonprofit Problem Solver, Kev Kayat. Kev Kyatt here. Welcome to Nonprofit Problem Solver. Thanks for tuning in. We're here to help. You are actually the Nonprofit Problem Solver. Our job is to bring you practical, tactical expertise that you can use right now, or maybe in an hour. You're about to hear the recording of a live call with an expert panel, and you're more than welcome to join these live calls. Just zip on over to nonprofitproblemsolver.com to register. In episode 11, we return to marketing and development, and we go headfirst right into the renewed confrontation with race that we're having in the U.S. right now, and what it means for the way nonprofits engage their communities, their staff and colleagues, their partners and donors, and the people we serve. This isn't the time to be comfortable or cloud our meanings with delicate euphemisms that try to be bold and inoffensive at the same time. We're finally entering a more serious and committed period in our conversations about race and equity, and everyone on our panel has something to say. Uh, Welcome, everyone. Welcome to Nonprofit Problem Solver, episode... 11. We are talking uh, for the third time in season one around marketing and fundraising. And we have our esteemed panel with us. I will uh, have them introduce themselves in just a moment. And we will go through uh, a few questions. And then uh, if uh, folks who are listening can be active in the chat, we can have a bit of interaction and we will open up for comments that you can ask the panel directly or comment on something that you've heard uh, as it applies to your own situation. So I will start with Julia Campbell. Hi, thanks for having me. So I am Julia Campbell. I'm a digital marketing strategist and I just help nonprofits tell their story online using email and social media. Excellent. Tasha. Hello, everyone. I'm Tesh McCord-Poe. I'm the founder and CEO of Joy Raising. We are a consultancy that helps organizations with um, their fundraising and also diversity, equity, and inclusion issues. We like to have those hard conversations in order about race and money in order to um, help organizations reach their highest potential. Happy to be with you all today. Excellent. Molly. Hi, everyone. It's nice to be here. Um, I'm from Business Volunteers Unlimited, uh, otherwise known as BVU. I'm the Director of Marketing and Events. Um, at BVU, we have uh, we work to connect businesses and nonprofits together in the Northeast Ohio region. And we do that through volunteerism, board matching, um, and pro bono help um, for our nonprofits. We also do a good bit of consulting with nonprofits to help get their board um, engaged and working towards a shared mission. Um, and I'm happy to be here with such a great group. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Molly. Tammy? 
Good afternoon, everyone. Um, I am Tammy Charles. I'm the founder and CEO of Anovo Strategic Consulting, and I help organizations maximize their impact by utilize by you know helping them with fundraising, board training. I'm just really passionate about uh, social impact work, um, and also uh, uh, just like joy raising too. I'm passionate about diversity, equity, inclusion as well. So thanks for having me. No, thank no, thank you for joining us, and Farah. Kev, thanks for having me back. Good to be joining this lovely panel and meeting some new friends today. I'm Farrah Trumpeter. I'm Chief Growth Officer and partner at Big Duck. Big Duck is a communications firm that works exclusively with nonprofits, focusing on how we use communications to achieve your mission through branding campaigns and overall team and capacity building. Excellent. Thank you. And Marianne. Hello, everyone. I'm Marianne Dirsch with Courageous Communication, and I work with nonprofits to increase their influence so they can connect with new donors and raise more money without feeling rejected, ineffective, or pushy. And I'm excited to be here with everybody. Excellent. Okay, so uh, in the previous two episodes, we have spoken a lot about the challenges around fundraising in particular. Uh, during 2020 and everything that 2020 seems to keep throwing at us. Uh, and the the overall message, and this is applied into some other episodes around uh, programming and uh, uh, recruitment and board management, is around authenticity and being true to our mission, true to the impact that we're trying to, to make. And uh, so what I wanted to do to start today is um, Julie was the keynote speaker at a, at a very large and prestigious virtual conference. Um, and, and her session is going to be available online next week. I think they, they start becoming available. So we'll be able to uh, share that link. Um, but what uh, Julie, I think if it's, if it's fair enough for me to say, sort of threw out her prepared remarks and rewrote it <laughs> in short order to address uh, what we've all been seeing uh, in the news and the media and in some cases participating in, which is a, a, new, a renewed conversation and confrontation with race in this country. And uh, the nonprofit world is right in the middle of it, as you would expect. And uh, Julie had some interesting things to say that I think uh, pull those themes together that we've been sharing in terms of uh, authenticity and what it means for um, the way we think about marketing, the way we think about engaging uh, our wide range of donors and funders uh, and, and board uh, members and volunteers and so on. So I will pass it on to Julie and then we were all going to pile in at some point. Uh, please feel free to uh, light up the chat with uh, questions, comments, and so on. And we will try and pull as many of those questions as possible to the panel in the next hour before two o'clock. So I'll pass it over to uh, Julia. Hi, yeah, just to just take a couple of minutes to kind of talk about, talk through what happened. And I am not a DEI expert under any circumstances, but when I was asked to keynote this conference, they wanted a keynote on the future of fundraising in a post-pandemic world. Now, we're not post-pandemic at all. So I thought that's crazy for me to talk about being post-pandemic. And then what I was seeing in terms of the silence around George Floyd's death and 
the Black Lives Matter movement from nonprofit leaders, from my clients, from people in the sector, thought leaders, philanthropists, foundations. I was seeing this real, just really being uncomfortable taking a stand. So I decided to shift my keynote into the future of fundraising, what it's really like when we stop paying lip service to the things that we care about and we actually start acting on the things that we care about. So, you know, I, I have the transcript up on my blog. Um, I'll put, post the link in the chat and I'm happy to answer, you know, any questions people have about what I talked about. But what my whole point was, the whole thing that I wanted people to come away with is that you can be an imperfect ally. And I am an imperfect ally and I'm doing this work every single day and I'm having the hard conversations and I go to boards and have these conversations as a white woman. I, you know, I think that sometimes white people respond to white people, maybe all the time, maybe a lot of the time. So saying things like, you will be uncomfortable, you will get it wrong, you will say the wrong thing, you will fall down. But as long as you're trying to have these conversations, as long as you, your heart and your intention is in the right place and you make a little bit of a baby step, I think that's what we, we just need to get out of this thought that we're going to offend our donors. We're going to offend our funders. We're going to, you know, I think we need to really examine what's right and figure out who we're trying to attract to our cause. And if we end up repelling a few people, then so be it, because that means that we're doing something important and we're taking a stand for something that we care about. So in the frame of marketing and fundraising, I was just saying we we talk a really good game about equity in the sector. We talk a really good game about being committed to justice and ending white supremacy, but do we actually practice that in our organizations and also you know, at the conferences that we attend? So I just wanted to make people think and I wanted to just kind of put these thoughts out there saying that I am not an expert, I am not trained in this. I've been working in the sector for a really long time and I am just another white woman struggling, you know, struggling with what to do and struggling with how to best put what I feel into action and do my part and get called out on it and fall down and then get back up again and, and you know, try to do better. So that was really, you know, that was kind of where I came from and I got a really great response to it. Yeah, I thought what, what, what resonated for me listening to it uh, at the time was, um, it, it sort of crystallized for me uh, an underlying tension that I hadn't been able to name before, which is, on the one hand, we are passionate about nonprofits because we want to change the world. We want to see different results for the people that we serve. But on the other hand, well, particularly the supplies of our communications, we just don't want to offend anybody or we're, we're, we're oversensitive yeah. about offending people. And those two things are incompatible. And that's what 100%. my takeaway was like, wait a minute, how can we, how can we be so over concerned about offending people or the language that we use or yep. confronting some really serious issues and yet at the same time say, we're trying to change the world. You can't do those two things together. And uh, you do them in an authentic way. And not one point that way. I wanted to make was every single thing we do is political simply existing for like a trans person existing and going out in the world that's a political statement unfortunately so i the people that we fight for the communities that we advocate for and the changes that we try to make 
no matter what it is you do, if you're a little historical society somewhere in a town, you might think you're not political. Someone's trying to take your funding. Someone's trying to shut you down. Someone disagrees with your point of view. So we need to kind of get out of this box where we think that what we're doing is not quote unquote political. And I don't mean Democrat, Republican. I don't mean like the two party system. I mean, it is political to stand up for what you want and to change things. So we can't continue to hide behind the fact that our board won't let us talk about these issues because that probably means we're not addressing them internally. So that's, that's right. Tesha, can I come to you next? Um, the, in, in terms of the, the work you're doing, you, you can comment in any way that you wish about the way that uh, Julia's uh, introduced the, and, the, and the, the tension I referenced, but, but uh, share your perspective. Sure. I mean, that's a huge question. And, um, and so I think what I'll say is about this fear. Um, you know, one real clarifying thing for me is that this is, until this feels like everyone's issue, you know, if we, if we continue to have people of color carry it um, and own it, we're not going to resolve it in the way that I think um, we're hoping to. And so one thing that, that a shift that I see right now is that it feels to me as a person of color that there are, that there are more um, white people who are, who are stepping up and, and saying, I want to, I may not be an expert, whatever that means, but um, I do want to own it. Cause I think we're all expert at navigating the system that we're in. And I think maybe we haven't all reflected on the skills and ways of being that we've developed in navigating that. And maybe, you know, reflecting on that is, is a way to start. Where are we? And um, this thing, to, uh, thing about authenticity is being okay with where we are as long as we're going to move forward from that place. And so um, I think some of the fears, fearing, fearing being wrong, fearing being called out, fearing, um, uh, you know, people who are otherwise mastering, masterful in, in, in understanding the things that they are engaging every day, not feeling masterful in this space. And we have to be able to be vulnerable and lean in and, and roll up our sleeves in order to make a difference. And I think the other piece is reflecting on or visualizing what is, what is it that we're aiming for, right? Because I think sometimes we know what we're fighting against, but we're not really clear about what we're fighting for. And um, if we don't have a shared understanding or even ability to articulate it, we're not sure. That's when people get tired. You know, when are we going to move on from this? And I think, you know, as, as, a, um, as a black person in this country, there is a feeling that, you know, this is, is this a moment or is this a movement? And our hope is that, my hope is that it's not just a moment, but it could be. Um, but what are we going to get from this from this um, moment in terms of progress? So I don't know if that answers what no, you're that, looking for. That, that's great. Again, the, the, what I draw from that is this notion of um, not holding back about what this this next normal is going to look like, or maybe, sadly, maybe longer than just the next normal, the one after that, but what, but being really clear, not just what we're fighting against, but <laughs> what we're trying to do. And it's it's more than just the the bland words of folding racial equity into whatever future we're after. It's got to be more concrete, more real uh, than, than that. Uh, Marianne, I'm going to come to you next. Um, you've, you've, uh, uh, are um, branded around courageous conversations. Um, where, where are you seeing this play out and what's your reaction to what we've said so far? So that's why I wrote my book, Courageous Communication about was the idea of that if you're doing or saying something interesting, are important and somebody doesn't like it, that's okay. 
right? And the idea of like, I call it the codependent nonprofit that wants to please everyone at the expense of advocating. And that, this is my, my book that I wrote, you know, a while ago that just perfectly, Julia, you just perfectly <laughs> described it. And um, so in my, I, 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 in my situation, uh, my husband and I are white and we have, our kids are black, they're adopted out of foster care. And my bonus kid, Marquise, who's been living with us for a year, um, his mom's struggling with some housing instability, so he's been staying with us. And I talked about how the nonprofit often models the makeup of my family with leadership and board being white and like frontline staff or clients being people of color, you know, black and just people of color. Okay, and so that what dynamic that creates and how my family was formed and the work that we do and how oftentimes racism, systemic racism, white privilege creates some of the problems that we're trying to solve. Like what problem is homelessness, poverty, schools that, that race is not a component of, and yet we don't talk about the systemic problems. And so in the messaging, we, I hear this a lot, like one family at a time, one child at a time. And actually my old, um, my old company that I worked at, we would make fun of that because we saw it everywhere, you know, because it was like, but that, that just leads to like, I want to solve this one family's problem. I don't want to look at what put that family in that problem in the first place and what systemic problems are. And, and those are the conversations. So could we donors be, and, and not have to be actually being, being creating a problem that we're trying to solve as we're trying to solve it. So that was my question. And that was like a big thing for me to put that out there. And I had to, you know, take the big breath. Like Julie said, I, I didn't know if I got it right, but I had to do my check. Was I authentic? Was I in alignment? Was I telling the truth? Was I coming from a place of love and understanding? And then I hit set. <laughs> because some days I wish my company was safe and boring communication instead of courageous communication. Because <laughs> I do not around that, you know? But, so you're um, trying to make courageous communication safe and boring, right? For, for the rest of us. <laughs> you know, like, it's just, uh, but really helping, because uh, uh, I don't think we're comfortable having those conversations. And I think that development people are, we're not comfortable having those conversations with donors because we're afraid that we're going to offend them and they're not going to give us the money. And so that, that rooted in that scarcity that, that might, you know, and so there's a lot of this work that's rooted in abundance that there's enough out there and you know we just need to align ourselves and connect with the right people for our organization um, but that's why I feel like a lot of these conversations are not are not happening is because we're afraid to offend and we're afraid it's going to cost us donor dollars and fair I want to come to you uh, next thank you Marianne uh, with regard to uh, the work that that you do and, and and Big Duck, you obviously have some some very large nonprofit uh, clients and some smaller ones and so on. And you have a different uh, uh, perspective, I think, on the on the sector than maybe some of us in terms of the range of communication strategies that you've seen and with what people are struggling with now. How are they addressing this problem, or what are they, what are they what's the um, the sort of salient thing you've just seen in the last couple of weeks? And, and obviously, I w want to give you every opportunity to, to contribute to anything you've already heard. Yeah, thank you. Um, I mean, I think, uh, I think organizations, just like everyone on this call, are struggling. Some who are um, 
rooted in, uh, have been doing, either, either organizations have been doing this work for years and finally people are listening to them um, or featuring what they're doing. You know, racial justice organizations are getting an outpouring of support right now financially. People are, you know, joining Color of Change, I think went from 1.7 to one, or 170,000 to 700,000 or something like that in terms of its members. Um, donations are coming in. So I think some groups are getting a boost. Other groups are still just like, um, as Julia sort of sounded like pointed out in her keynote, which I will read later, struggling with what to say, how to say it, where are they? They haven't done this work internally. How can they speak about it externally? Um, I think that's a real tension. Um, I do think for an organization to be authentic in what it says externally, it does have to do the work internally or else it's mm -hmm. just performative. Um, Dr. Ibram Kendi, who wrote How to Be Anti-Racist, released a like two-minute TED Talk clip which I can share in a few minutes that I retweeted last week about the idea of feelings advocacy that I've been thinking a lot about, which is where um, people are sort of caught up in the moment and they feel bad. So they buy some books, they make some donations, they, you know, tune in for a minute to Tesh's point of, is this a moment or a movement? And then after they feel better, because they've done something, they've overcome their initial guilt, they've moved on. And I'm talking primarily at this point about white people to be explicit. Um, and I think, I think it's on us as people who work for nonprofits, work in the sector, have relationships with, with friends, family, colleagues, to make sure this is a, um, a, a movement and not a moment. And that, um, and again, that we're amplifying and we're in solidarity with organizations that have already been doing this work and not try and pick up the mantle. So I think those are the, some of the things that we've been talking about, particularly, I think for us, we do a lot of work. One of the areas we do work in is branding, um, and also donor communications. On the side of branding, we've been thinking a lot about even just the work we do with organizations and some of we pushing pushing ourselves, pushing each other to see are the words we're thinking about, the ideas we're thinking about, are they gendered? Are they racist? Are they inherently um, putting on some kind of stereotype? And do we need to really ask or put, put things through more lens than we ever have before? Um, and that's one of the things we just blogged about that this week. I'll share that in a minute. Um, but I, I want to come back or, or speak about this idea of, donor sent, uh, of donors that Marianne was talking about, you know, for many years, and myself included, have sort of used this phrase about, you know, donor love and being donor centric. Um, and the way to hold on to your donors is to, you know, make sure they feel like they're the star of the story. So, I mean, I have said that. I have definitely said that at some point in the past few years. By doing that, we are perpetrating this idea that donors have the power that donors should be the star and the star should not be the donors. The star should be the staff. The star should be the people who are making the change, who are, you know, overcoming adversary, adverse, adver, adversaries, you know, the word I'm trying to say struggles um, if they're going through that. And I think Vu Lee, who everyone loves um, at nonprofit AF pointed this out in a great blog post a year or two ago. Um, and I think we've been also been thinking about that too, like instead of pushing a donor to say, instead of naming this building after you, what if we name this building after the community it's for? What if we named it after the people who are doing the work and not necessarily after you who've given this millions of dollars? And I think to Marianne's point, sometimes this means we're going to have to have, if we're really going to embrace this idea, it's more than just, you know, sticking a flag somewhere or changing our Facebook status or for a week, it means really bringing this into everyday conversation. And those are the kind of things that I think are people are being much more front and center about. But those questions have been going on for a while. It just all of a sudden hit a moment. And to Tesh's point, again, I hope is more than a moment. 
Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, and I think I want to come back to the this notion of what of, of genuine authenticity and the internal work that that people need to do. It's no, I think folks are recognizing it's no longer adequate to say our staff have gone through certain trainings or inherent bias, and so everyone's been through that. I mean, let's let's be clear. From from what I can understand, <laughs> the police have been through de-escalation training. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so um, I don't want to draw too much of a parallel uh, with that. Um, Tammy, I know you've had some connection issues coming back and forth. Um, I want to uh, give you an opportunity to uh, contribute again. Um, tell us where you're, where you're um, feeling at the moment in terms of how this work is moving. Are we going to a, uh, from a moment to a movement? What are you seeing in, in around Tampa, around your clients? I'm just going to be authentic here and just say that it has been a really tough couple of weeks for me. I mean, even this conversation alone is very hard for me to have. Um, it, it's, it's hard for me to have because it's been very, very tough. It has, I think this issue of, you know, racism and, and division, it, it hits me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a conversation with my therapist and I told her that I need to give, we like as black people, we need to take care of ourselves. We need to take breaks. We need to cry. We need to find community if we don't have one. Um, I think there's a deep, I think you all kind of mentioned it. There is a deep internal work that needs to be done. I think one of the things that once I remember just like two weeks ago, I had a lot of people calling me and texting me. And it was very overwhelming. It came to a point where I was emotionally enraged. Um, I had people email me saying, hey, how can we help you? I have, you know, organizations and even my consulting practice is focused on DEI. And I had people emailing me saying, we want to partner, we want to work together. And I remember having a conversation with an organization that's led by predominantly white leaders. And they were saying that, yeah, we, we, we need to do better. And they wanted to put this committee together and they were like, let's start whiteboarding. And I told them, before you start brainstorming, work on yourself. Because what I don't want to do is join your work, trying to, trying to come together and create some sort of a resolution and people fall off because they haven't done the internal work. I know I need to do the internal work. So I think it's very important in this time for us to be sensitive to focus on our internal work. And so I think for me, I'm, I'm really hoping that what is happening is a, not just awakening people, but awakening them to themselves and the narratives that they've shared with themselves as it relates to race and really, really having those internal conversations. It's very, very important. I think for the nonprofit sector, we have a tendency to want to get to work. We want to get there and solve problems. And I know I'm the same way too. And I have felt led to take a break. I have told people no. I have, when people ask me to join panels or whatever, I've told them no, because I have an internal work to do. If I'm going to fight this fight, good fight for the long term, I have to work on myself. I have, to find, I have to work with my therapist. I have to work with my life coach. I have to pray. I have to seek faith. And I'm, I think that is what we need to focus on. I think protests are important. I think trying to find solutions are important, but it is very important that we must first work on ourselves before we start trying to run out there and try to do all this work. Because a lot of us are emotionally, there's our emotions 
it's almost like a, there's a visceral reaction to what's happening. And so we post up and I, I've been guilty of that. We post up on social media, we say things and I have said things out of anger. And I realized like, I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. So I just urge everyone on this call. I have urged myself like really, if you don't have a therapist, find a therapist, find someone you can trust to talk about it, racism, talk about your own fears of people of a different race. I have had to do it. I've had had some really great conversations with my therapist and she is helping me work through some things. But please, before you run out, run within, please, because there's a lot of work to do, but it's going to take sane and emotionally stable people to do this work in the, in the long run. So that's really how I feel. I mean, this conversation is, it's hard for me, but it's, I know it's important, but that's really where I'm at right now. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. I appreciate uh, that it, it, it's a bit uh, re-traumatizing, uh, which, uh, so very grateful. And I love that, that phrase, before you run out, do, do, do the run within. Uh, I might've um, chewed on that by accident a bit. Uh, I'll have to listen again and get it right. Uh, but I think this is, this, is, this is an interesting issue that you've raised where uh, you're right, we do in the sector tend to want to sprint off and get, and get to work. Uh, and if we're not doing that, we're whiteboarding, as you said, you know, we're trying to plot out, okay, it's, it's, it's bigger than just running outside and starting to work. So let's, let's do, uh, uh, let's draw the map out on the, on the board. And, and if it's not that, sometimes the conclusion is, particularly around race and racial equity and discrimination, we, we, we do that, that training uh, muscle and say, okay, we'll just, we'll get people into classes and, and so on. And that's not the internal work. And, and I guess my, my question is, and, and Ferry, you mentioned it, which is why I want to sort of pull this round, which is how can we have authentic communications, which requires us to do the internal work when we haven't yet done the internal work or we don't know what the internal work looks like or the internal work is, is different. Um, you know, and I think that's, that's a challenge. And, um, uh, Marianne, I'm going to come right on to you. For, uh, I know you've got a, a point there, but I want to give Molly a chance to, to, to weigh in. Uh, for what's going on in, um, in, in the Cleveland area and at Business Volunteers Unlimited. Molly? Yeah, I think that we all have a lot of work to do within. Um, and I liked what Julia said about, you know, we're not the perfect advocates and, and we're flawed um, and trying to work forward. And, and we've kind of just, what we see from our nonprofit partners is, you know, they really, they want to diversify their boards. They know that they are one-sided in the way they look at things sometimes. Um, and so that's kind of our, our job. And as all people, we're trying to plug people in and connect them because that's what's going to bind us together. Um, making those connections is really the, the important part of it. Yes. Okay. Yeah, no, that's, Exactly right. It's about connection. Uh, Marianne, did you want to uh, respond to something I'd said earlier? So, uh, yeah, because I really want to talk about internal work. Um, and I call that mindset. And, um, and I've actually shifted my whole business to really help people with their mindset uh, and understanding. So and I have conversations with people and they say, my board is so ineffective. And I say, so what is it about you? that tolerates that ineffectiveness because we have to fix that not fix that was the wrong word we have to explore what that looks like 
because you're perfect and beautiful exactly as you are and you don't need to be fixed or modified in any way. Sorry. Okay. So, uh, uh, and what about you tolerates that and how can I help you increase your influence, your confidence, your credibility so that you can ask for and receive because you could put in an agenda or I'm going to try this or this. And again, the whiteboard, the action without thinking, okay, what is the deeper meaning? And something I think, um, Tammy said, um, you know, in crisis, we, we have our intuition, we have our logic, and we have emotion. And in crisis, we let emotion drive us. And then when the crisis subsides, we go to logic. We want to fix, we want to whiteboard, we want to plan. What we're missing is the intuition. And when Tammy talks about internal work, you know, and I, I do have a whole army of mental health professionals that support me. Um, you know, these my kids all have challenges. I have people who help me with that. I have people who help me with my business. Um, but but what is that intuition, that inner knowing that we often overlook? And I feel like in this upheaval, the societal upheaval that we get to like have the glory of living in and witnessing, and we're we're born into to be a part of it. Um, is, is connecting with that intuition and connecting with that inner knowing um, and helping other people and encouraging other people to do that instead of just either emotion or action. And I think in nonprofit, like, like it's about like action, fix it. And I know we want to fix and solve and help. And that's our, that's our thing. Um, that's our first inclination. And I wouldn't deny anybody. Um, it's just slow down for a second figure out what's going on. And I love that you said, you know, doing the internal work first and then coming, because if you're coming without that and they're already setting up an oppositional thing, right. You're, um, or to minimize, or just, can we just do this and make it go away? Right. Yeah, like, it, that's not how you're going to be successful with your DEI work. Like if we just take this training, can we stop talking about this now? <laughs> yeah. Well, that, um, unfortunately that's been more common reaction than, then uh, that has been helpful. Julia, what sort of um, uh, feedback or what have been some of the outcomes of your, um, of your keynote? I know in the actual moment, the response and the comments were uh, engaging. What, what sort of further conversations have you had uh, on the back of that? And, and have they reached into this question around internal work? The number one comment and question that I received um, uh, was from young fundraisers, young professionals that said, how can we have this conversation at my office? How can we bring this conversation to my office? How can we bring this conversation to my board? I'm really, I'm new here. I'm young. Um, I don't really know how to start these conversations. The power dynamics are so entrenched at my organization. And what is the first step? And I have to be really honest, like, I don't necessarily know. I think I told them exactly. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that Tammy said, work on yourself internally, because that's what I told them. I said, you have to really look at yourself first and then maybe find an ally, like find someone else, one other person that you can really trust and like band together. Because if you're just all alone trying to do this work, um, I mean, it's really difficult. So I... I think I, an example that I can share, it's not around race, but when I lived in Virginia, I worked at a domestic violence shelter and the um, gay marriage was up for a statewide vote. And to me, 
that was a no brainer that we would obviously have to support gay marriage and marriage equality. But it was really shocking when I talked to my coworkers and I talked to the board and I just heard the, I just heard, you know, so many things that I had never thought that people would actually think that are in the social justice sector, especially dealing with people in, um, that do relationship work and try to, um, you know, end violence against, you know, certain groups of people. So to me, I think just really doing the work on yourself, but then picking maybe one other person to try to talk through these things and then finding an expert, really finding an expert if you are committed to doing this work at your organization, because you can't, you can't be expected to turn around the, these internal biases and end white supremacy on your board yourself. I don't think if you're a fundraiser and especially if you're making, you know, $40,000 a year and you're worried about your job and especially in this climate. But that was the number one question. And I think that it's worth so much more discussion because people really want, they want to start these conversations, but they're so worried about their jobs. They're really worried about their, they're worried about their career. They're also worried about how they're going to be seen. They're worried about the backlash. So that was the, absolutely the number one question was how do we just get the ball rolling? Like, how do we get started? How do we have these conversations? And Interesting. Uh, can I say something? Yeah. And I, I, I honestly don't have the answer. So I'd love to hear what, whatever. I was, I was just going to pivot to you, Tash. <laughs> yeah. I want to um, hear. So yeah. I will just get out of the way. Yeah. Um, I, 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 not coming to this as an expert, but in response, one of the things that's so remarkable to see is what people are willing to risk in these protests, which is actually their lives. Yeah. Right? So we're still in, in a pandemic. People are wearing masks mostly, but they don't know what they're risking. Yeah. So I think we have to be willing. I'm not saying everyone should be willing to give up their, their job. Yeah. We have to be willing Take a risk. to have some discomfort at the very least yeah. in order to make change. And the reason I think in part, and Tammy, I just want to thank you for speaking so um, vulnerably and beautifully around the reality of this. You know, I'm, I'm a mother of um, a two teenage girls, uh, 18 and 16, and um, the way that they're responding in this moment just um, fills me with so much hope and pride and, and um, you know, and also they have wept and we have wept together, you know, so this is, there is so much that we are, that we are um, carrying, particularly as black people in this country. But I think part of why we have to do our internal work is because our systems are in place to perpetuate yeah. what we, this, you know, the um, disparity that we see. Right. And so the reason why that young new person can't go into their office and talk about it is because the office, mm -hmm. the culture, the environment is set up for this not to, to not to change. And so if it's going to change, it has to, as, as Tim said, it has to be from people who have who have done that work. And, you know, I think about the fact that, sure, I've been doing the work, but but I've been doing the work because of the package that I came in, the immutable package that I come in which I would not change for the world. And I delight in every, you know, in every way and appreciate the packages that other people come in. But yes, I've had to do that work until I'm, and I said it last time I spoke, but until everybody owns it, it's really hard. Right. So if the, um, you know, yes, I can come to you having done this and feeling like I have some expertise, not masterful, but some expertise and I'm also someone who is in this moment feeling targeted, married to a black man who goes out, you know, in, in our neighborhood that is very white. 
um, for, you know, to, to do his walks in the morning and worried about that. I'm, I'm owning this as much as I can. And we, and I think we all need to own it in the way we can. It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be pretty, but I, I think, you know, as Marianne was saying, the intention that we come to it with is really important. So our systems, my point is our systems are not in place for this, for us to actually be successful at this. And so we've got to, we've got to shift um, those systems and we have to be willing to give up. So I too, like Tammy, got a bunch of those very well-meaning, you know, from people who I know care a lot about me, but after the 10th one, you know, it's a lot. And so um, one strategy that I had was I finally like could, could visualize the, the general response I, I wanted to make. And so when they came in, that was my initial response. And so I could give them something back, you know, something to really chew on, but I didn't have to hold it, right? Because I didn't, otherwise it was literally a two hour conversation. That was mostly about, I didn't know if I should reach out to you or not. <laughs> and I can't get those two hours back. Um, and, and also I know they were very well-meaning. So, it, you know, this is the internal work has to happen um, so that we can make shifts. What you're, what you're alluding to, I think, uh, is that this idea of dismantling white supremacy starts within our own brains, within our own cells, rather than uh, it, you know, dismantling something physical or external to ourselves. Uh, and, I, and I wonder, uh, we had mentioned, in, in fact, in the talent development, uh, talent and staff development episode a couple of weeks ago, whether... Uh, Julie, as you mentioned, the movement to marriage equality was showed any analog to what some of that internal work might look like. But but my guess is that the scale of discomfort is you know as is another order of difference um, because it's it's clearly not happening anywhere nearly as rapidly as that that uh, change in in cultural thinking. Um, and and what I'm wondering, uh, uh, Fair, I'd like your view on this in terms of people being authentic and able to get it wrong. I think some of the folks who've been in this space working in social justice have been a bit paranoid or, or fear-ridden about saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing or, or, or losing some bona fides about their uh, commitment to racial equity if they use perhaps to say the wrong language and, and, and so on. And, and uh, Ferris, so tell us what, your take is on this, are we, are, are, are we approaching an area where we are a bit more forgiving about the language that we use because we're encouraging people to do that work and it's, it's not going to be instantaneous? Um, hmm. I mean, I don't know about forgiving. I know a lot of folks have shared, um, you know, white silence equals violence um, and talking about um, also looking at, you know, the early AIDS activism movement who, um, and Larry Kramer passed away recently, you know, ACT UP had sort of um, made famous the, the silence equals death with the pink triangle. And I think we're sort of coming back to that same idea that by not saying anything, um, you are furthering the problem. Um, that said, I think um, you do have to be mindful about what you say. And also sometimes there's a time not for you to speak, but for you to amplify others. Um, and so I think organizations right now, if they haven't done that internal work, either individually or as an organization, I think they, and they're wondering what they should say, they should say something, but again, it doesn't have to be them that's saying it. It could be that they are 
um, sharing the words of someone else and just sharing that they're in solidarity um, with that organization. But I think we're hearing loud and clear, and hopefully it's staying with people that they can't do nothing. Um, that doing nothing literally is leading to death, is leading to violence. And every day, it's, it's, um, we are hearing headlines about lynching um, and, and violence and brutality and murders. And it just can't, like, you know, we, this has been happening for over 400 years. We need to, we can't no longer, we can't keep turning a blind eye to and saying it's not my problem. Um, and I hope that's what organizations are thinking. Um, I know that's what I'm hearing conversations about in the small bubble that I live in, but it's, you know, not every bubble. The, I posted an article uh, in the chat that we have been talking a lot about for, for several years um, that we got through a training we did at Race with Race Forward um, that comes from a workbook that's almost 20 years old, but this idea of looking at the culture of white supremacy. And I think a lot of organizations don't realize that certain things that they perpetrate, ways they evaluate people, who, you know, who is promoted based on accomplishments versus potential, who's held back, things that people aren't realize that they're doing. And I think before we think about what we're communicating outside, we need to look at, we're, we're changing our hiring data. We need to look at what we're doing inside our organization because that comes through in how we communicate and raise money. Um, so that's, that's some of the conversations I hope people are having. And, and uh, just to, to, to follow on with that, with the idea of, of, of brand and brand values, I mean, typically an organization reaching out in, in, uh, in its communications does so with uh, a sort of a single voice, you know, it has that sort of personality mm -hmm. that should reflect their mm -hmm. values. But if, if you've got a spectrum <laughs> of, of thinking and, and behavior and attitudes, particularly around race, even within the leadership and the board, how does an organization manage that? Or how does an EED who's looking at, you know, quite a spectrum of, of opinion try and present a consistent voice in, in, in marketing and communications? I mean, I think um, there's a lot there to unpack and it's hard to do it so abstractly without looking at a particular organization. I think there's what an organization in its own amorphous being says and does. There's what the individual people within that organization say and do. Um, and sometimes those are very much intertwined. Sometimes they're different. I think um, an organization has to, should have a clearer voice um, that they want associated with it that reflects the organization and the audiences it's working with. How that overlaps with their voice they have on race, might, on, on issues related to race and racism may differ. They may be an organization that's very academic and astute uh, and puts forward a very evidence-based way of thinking, and they're, but that doesn't mean they have to wait 20 years for the evidence to come out about what they should say about this, about what's happening right. um, around issues of race. So I think they have to be looked at. Certainly, it's, a, it's another question to ask. How does this statement we're putting forward um, represent us as an organization, but also um, what more do we need to say? How else do we need to push ourselves? And, and the tone of this communication might be different than the tone of our annual report, but it's still us as an organization. So I think it's worth asking, but not the only filter I put through um, in questioning that. And can right. I add in terms of that? Go ahead. Yes, yeah. please, Tammy. Just real quick. So learned a lot last week, man, these emails. Um, one thing that I learned, so the organization that who called me and wanted to do the panel, they asked me, so, you know, we want to put out a, a note out, you know, they wanted to do like a, a note saying that, yes, we condemn racism and, you know, we want to be inclusive. 
And, you know, she asked me, like, how do we how do we show that we're authentic? And one thing that organizations need to really think about is authenticity is important. Um, in the last couple of weeks, there were a lot of corporations and organizations who put out notices, even local organizations who put out notices that, you know, we value inclusion. And I was like, really? Um, and it almost it, it actually has the reverse effect, especially for the black community, too. And I think like I think it's important for organizations to say, like, yes, in the past, we have not done a good job. Like, be real, but do not just put a statement saying that you condemn racism without the authenticity behind it. So I was telling her like, it's okay for you to be authentic and also reveal your mission statement, your mission, your values, your, your culture. We talked about culture a lot, revisit your values. And for her, you know, she talked about how community was one of their values, but I think I was telling her, I was like, I think you need to be a little bit more specific about what part of community relates to inclusion and diversity and equity and justice. So when we think when we think about internal work, it starts with us, but it also starts with boards, leadership, having these conversations. Like I had a client call yesterday night with one of my clients and we were, go, we're I'm creating a strategic plan for them. And I'm constantly asking these questions, like what do you mean by racial justice? What does it really look like? So. And it takes hours, y'all, to unpack it. It just, it takes a really long time to unpack. We had to really go into the nuances of, okay, we're gonna go to this side of town and we're going to make sure that connections happen on this side of the tracks. Like we, you have to be very authentic with how you are articulating your values and your mission. And I think for nonprofits, we need to, we need to challenge ourselves to be like very nuanced because you have to have a communication strategy that aligns with your values, but your actions, those things need to be in alignment. And the way you create an alignment starts with us. And it also starts with those hard conversations because when you're not authentic, people are going to remember that. And this is where you cause mistrust. So I just really urge organizations to really think through like, have we really, do we really care about inclusion? And if we don't, where are we falling and where can we uh, course correct? But it just has to be authentic. Yeah, thank, thank you for that. I think that's, that is our, one of our salient themes. Molly, uh, I know that BVU, British Volunteers Unlimited, one of its main programming efforts is to work with local nonprofits in the greater Cleveland area and with boards and board development and so on. And you've got a, uh, a, a pipeline uh, specific programming because so many boards ask for more diversity on their boards and 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 struggle with that. How are they How are they starting to lead their conversation around uh, race and equity differently, other than just having you know what might be uh, criticized as a as a token board member on uh, on their board? Yeah, that's it. So um, before I talk about the minority board pipeline, which we've been working on since two thousand eight, um and is inherently important and good work. It's, it's been at the demand of nonprofits um, that this is really what they need on their board. Um, I want to, I want to say, you know, disgust is one of the most intense emotions. And so when you get a publicity stunt wrong, especially around diversity, equity, and inclusion, it's really wrong. And it's a, it's a brandable moment forever. Um, I think about 
Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and the uh, Kenta cloth. And I mean, who was, you're telling me none of those people had anyone brave enough on their staff to say, one second. I mean, they have people of color on their staff. They have people who are, who are educated on race, race issues, but none of these people were there to speak truth to power to say, mm, I don't think this looks good. So I just, I want to say that, that that's something that we've kind of all been circling around is talking about empowering people to speak up to power because sometimes the people in power are going to feel really uncomfortable with being told they're wrong, but how can we make our organizations, our companies feel like a safe place to do that? Um, and if you need to get on a Zoom call and cry because you think we're whitewashing a situation, do it. It's not wrong right now. It's not wrong ever. Um, but I just wanted to kind of touch on that before I talked a little bit more about the Minority Pipeline Initiative, which is, you know, it's we do board matching. That's part of what we do. Um, and we try to give the nonprofits the board members that they need that are really going to perform. Um, but I think uh, the big thing with the setting the board up so that they're asking the right questions so that they can accept a person that's different from them when they walk into the boardroom. Because we can match as many people of color as you want on your board, but unless your board's really gonna welcome them and be able to accept them, accept their thoughts, um, then, uh, then you're not gonna see the recidivism that you need in those people. It's just like a donor, it's 10 times harder to get a donor than it is to retain one, and same as board members. So um, we're just setting those kind of nonprofits up um, to have the successful with the people we're matching, uh, to have success with the people we're matching them with. And do you, but do you see the, uh, a, an appetite? It may be early days, so I, I appreciate that. Um, but do you see during the course of that program, more boards and more organizations willing to, to have uh, those conversations? Because that's, if that's where their internal work is, that's, that's clearly something that they need to do. The other boards are a bit more further along. Are, are you seeing a shift or not? Yeah, I think there's definitely been, you know, organizations have been reaching out to us quite a few in the last couple of weeks saying our board needs a wake up call. And I think that's coming from the individual doing the internal work, uh, an executive director saying, you know, I really need to look at myself and then thinking just because we serve an African-American population doesn't mean that we're equitable in our organization and that our board is an equitable or a piece of the organization. So yeah, we've definitely seen an uptick in, in requests and we're not necessarily the right people to do it. We, but we can connect them to individuals working in that space and partner with organizations and people of color that are working in that space to kind of make a, a product and, and training that's, that's more appropriate. Thank you. Um, I want to, I want to ask uh, the panel their views about where, um, so there's just this conclusion. We're thinking, uh, we're saying that this internal work has to happen and we all need to do it. And at, at, at sort of all levels, who's going to be modeling for that, for this modeling that internal work for us and what it looks like in ways that we can point to and say, this is, this is the way, this is the way to be moving forward from wherever you are. Cause a lot of people I imagine are stuck and boards are going to an executive director is going to need some, some leadership here. Who do we point to? How do we, how do we start to do that work? Tasha, can you, can you comment on that? I can comment on it. I think 
You can also tell me it's a completely wrong question. I, I'm, I'm yeah, cool. It's, with not too much. it's not the wrong question. I think what is hard is that, you know, part of what I said to my friends is I don't know what it is to have white privilege. And I, so I don't know what it is because there was always the offer to how can I use my privilege to, and I, I'm not saying I don't know what white privilege is, but I don't know what it is to have in order to give up. And so, it, because it's one thing to say, I can use my privilege on your behalf. I got a lot of that. What I didn't, what I wanted, what I, the next question is, are you willing to give it up? Um, because I think that's not a question people ask themselves often. And I don't think that the answer is always yes. And if not, why not? Right. And so um, in response to your question, I'm not sure who's going to lead it. Um, I think there are lots of people you can turn to for lots of advice about it, but it's got to strike a chord somewhere where it's just wrong. And I think that when we, when we say, why did George Floyd's death um, create this kind of response when, you know, we've been marching for a long time around lots of um, incidents, I think it's, you know, to watch that death and the, the inhumanity of that death struck a chord in people that feels mostly universal. Right. So how do we can how can we expand whatever that response was to then seeing to, to having a certain amount of disgust at looking at the boards of, you know, not just nonprofits, but corporations? Because remember, you know, I, I sit on four boards. That's all unpaid work. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I do that because I'm passionate about issues, but it's it needs we need to get to the point where you don't need me in the room in order to have the right conversation. Right. So I'm going to put that question back and say, I'm not sure what it's going to take. But I think that is the question to be asking. Okay. Thank, thank you for that. Marianne, do you want to weigh in? Well, I just, I, you know, I was having a lot of conversations with individuals inside organizations who wanted their organization to embrace change. And the organizations weren't ready for it. And our conversations would sort of die because I work with organizations, right? And, and then what I did was switch and developed, oh, developed these courses for individuals to become stronger change agents inside their institutions. And for me, that's a lot of the way forward is maybe us really looking at our business models and what we do. Because most of us, I think, as consultants, work with institutions as a whole. But then how can we coach and help and embody and embolden? And Julie, I think that's what the, the young folks yep. were asking you is like, yep. teach me how to do it. And so that I can be a better change agent. So instead of, I think, and not that I, because what I want and what we all want is organizational overall change. But what I've done is open up and say, okay, people are asking me for help. How can I help them so that they can have those conversations and help move their organizations along? Because as I think as most consultants, as most we work organizationally, so I think starting, maybe we can start coaching people more individually and, and really helping them do, and, and at least getting that started, right? Because if, the, because if the whole board's not ready, maybe there's one. So you take that one, that one person and you help them and then they have one person and they, maybe, that's the, maybe that's the way. Yep. Julia, Julia, would you want to respond? Yeah, we have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And um, we really have to just kind of get over this fear 
that we're going to first of all, say the wrong thing, but also offend people because do you want to be right? Like, is it, isn't it better to be anti-racist than be, have someone email you because they don't agree with your stance on anti-racism? I mean, that's kind of, that's always been my perspective, but I love what you said, Marianne. I think we do need to be talking to the individuals rather than talking maybe to the institution as a whole where the power dynamics might squash the conversation. So I love what you said. Thanks. Tammy, do you um, have any uh, final words before we wrap up? Um, you know, I think it's just going back to the theme. I, I think this theme around uh, making sure that we just do the internal work. Um, I, I definitely agree with Tasha. I think as a black woman, I have no idea, um, you know, for the white community, what that really looks like. Um, but I, I do believe that it's it's just important to start with those hard questions. And, you know, I, I love that Julia said it, it. We have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, that is how change, that's how change happens. Um, I remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, there was this incredible speaker, John Dangler. Please look him up. He's so phenomenal. And he he was a part of this panel I was leading. And I told him, how do you change systems? That was a very tough question to ask because I'm like, how do you change the world? How do you change systems? And his answer was so perfect. He was like, the way we change systems is that we must first address the narratives that we tell ourselves, the narratives that we pass down to others. Um, there are a lot of narratives, and I'm talking about biases. I'm talking about the, the microaggressions. There, it's, it's, you know, I had, one of my friends told me it's not the big racist acts that trouble her. It's the microaggressions. She was like, you know, it's the 10,000 cuts that I have to constantly go through every day because I'm a black woman. And I think, so just going back, it's just very, very important for us to challenge the narratives in our minds and also challenge each other, challenge your family at Thanksgiving, like talk to your people during dinner and have those hard conversations. And they may end up kicking you out, but at least you stood up. So I think it's just, if we want to change systems, we must change the nuances and we must address them and those narratives that we tell ourselves and we tell others. Thank you. Uh, we're uh, drawing to a close. I think what we're uh, saying is that being authentic means doing that internal work uh, and understanding that it's going to be, uh, take some time to, um, uh, and it's going to be uncomfortable, but that's what we uh, have to commit to in order to uh, continue to dismantle racism from within beginning uh, and then and then taking that out into the communities that we serve. So I want to thank you, uh, thank all the panelists for uh, their vulnerability, their willingness to share uh, some some deep thoughts today. Uh, Julia, thanks for taking a lead with that with the with kicking us off. Uh, and and thanks everyone for listening. And this will be wrapped up as a podcast and released within the next few days. So thank you very much and uh, see you next week on Nonprofit Problem Solver. Thanks for joining us on the Nonprofit Problem Solver podcast. Special thanks to this week's experts, Julia Campbell, Tesha McCord-Poe, Molly Hanley, Tammy Charles, Farah Trumputer, and Marion Dirsch. Our producer is Glenn Munoz at PodPro Audio. You can join future conversations live by visiting nonprofitproblemsolver.com. 
connect with Kev on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. You are also invited to join a private Facebook group, Social Impact Practitioner, where every day we go deep into the practical and tactical work to accelerate your impact. Because good causes deserve better results.